the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Here we go! Welcome to Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is brought to you by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care, with a higher level of care, with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville. Online, too, at CountryRoadsTireOnline.com. Here are your hosts of the 2022 and 2023 WVBA Talk Show of the Year. Jordan Nicewarner and Marcia Kavalik. It is Friday the 30th, and you're tuned in to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto. I'm broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Nicewarner. Marcia is out for the 4th of July weekend, so I uh, hope she's having a good trip. She said she was uh, packing the whole time, but listening last night to our uh, panel discussion that we hosted for the Stubblefield Institute talking about post-pandemic health care, which was certainly an interesting uh, conversation, uh, especially hearing from the former COVID czar uh, for the state of West Virginia had a couple different um, medical professionals and uh, important people in that field that were there fielding questions from the public and uh, also just kind of talking about the things that they learned uh, from the pandemic, which uh, if you missed any of that, uh, that was broadcasted here. The Stubblefield Institute will be uh, reposting that after a little bit. And we'll be talking about that after a little bit as well. But my first guest is joining me on the line, and it is the Berkeley County, well, soon to be named, well, he's already named, but soon to be starting here on the 1st, Berkeley County Administrator Gary Wine. Sir, good morning. Thanks for joining me. Good morning, Jordan. You're very welcome. Thank you. So July 1st is uh, the official start day uh, of you as a Berkeley County Administrator. Are you excited for it? I am. I guess that's tomorrow morning. So let's uh, let's hope nothing goes bad over the holiday weekend and it, it starts smooth, huh? Exactly, exactly. And uh, talk about a nice weekend, nice long weekend to start uh, as the Berkeley County Administrator. But this isn't your first time, of course, uh, in in amongst the uh, Berkeley County Administrator, Berkeley County offices. You've been uh, with working for the county since 2007. So talk to us a little bit about the uh, lead up to this new job title. So um, actually, back in 1998, I started working over here as a contractor. Uh, I worked with IBM as a, a consultant. We did technical work and worked here through and up to 2007. And the county commission then decided they wanted to spin up a department and kind of do technical work internally. So I was blessed to, to be the selective candidate way back then. Uh, I was and still am IT director up to 2018, at which point I uh, – accepted the position of deputy county administrator and have had and have and have that hat and worn it until uh, tonight at midnight, at which point I've become the administrator. It's, uh, it's like you're just waiting for that clock to tick over, right? And it uh, all becomes I, official. Yeah, I don't know. I work for a wonderful human being that uh, has done a great job over the past 18 years in his career. So uh, while I'm excited, I'm also sad because I'm losing a, a great manager and a, a good friend at work. But uh I'll just have to visit him at home, I guess. Right. Well, you're taking over for longtime Berkeley County Administrator Alan Davis. Have you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have been talking with him during this transition, trying to maybe get the ropes a little bit? You bet. You bet. He, uh, as I mentioned, a, a great leader, uh, easy to work with, and, and he has, and, and we have been, he turned his resignation in in early January. So we've had a six-month window, not that we didn't work closely up to that, but 
this entire time, uh, we've, we've shared processes and procedures, and none of the administrative staff is changing. So just kind of a, a new guy in a, another chair, and we keep plugging forward and hopefully do good things. So being named Berkeley County Administrator, I feel like that's a, it's a huge role now in the state of West Virginia because of how important Berkeley County is becoming. It's growing exponentially. I'm sure you know this. So uh, what are some of your you know goals looking forward? What are some of the things you're going to be working towards uh, with Berkeley County? Like I said, because it's uh, growing like a, like a weed out here. Right. So, you know, as you know, the county administrator, if you will, is, is literally administrative officer to the county council. And they set kind of the vision of what we're doing. So we're involved in about $35 million worth of construction projects right now, renovating uh, the existing county offices here at the Dunn Building, uh, an expansion to the Day Report Center to continue to attack the opioid epidemic and support those people who need uh, emergency services is a top priority for the county council. Uh, both fire law and EMS, or all fire law and EMS, excuse me. So. Um, the plan that's in play uh, has been in play for years, and we continue to press forward, you know, being one of the few growth, if not the only truly growth county in the state, makes us unique, but there are 54 other counties that would love to have our problems. <laughs> exactly. I would imagine. I mean, uh, when you look at um, a lot of the other states, I mean, or the parts of the state, it seems like those people, if they are if they are moving out of their areas, it seems like if they want to stay in West Virginia, they're moving up this way, which, like you said, brings a, a lot of welcoming uh, problems, I would imagine, into your into your new role. It does. It does. And, you know, growth is a double edged sword. Right. So infrastructure demand, as we all can see the traffic and so on and so forth. So, you know, you have to handle it. Uh, with a with a scalpel and not with a machete, so it's it's a well thought out process. There's lots of players, there's lots of partners. You know, quality of life has been a, an initiative lately. Uh, the county council has now, I believe, uh, set aside. I think they have a fund balance of about three million dollars in their quality of life fund. So parks and recreation, uh, all of those things. There's 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 great things going on. Uh, the one of the bad things, as you well know, the government moves slow and. Mm. Sometimes it's like turning around an aircraft carrier in your bathtub. It's it's not a fast thing for us. Well, have you uh, you and council been? Uh, I'm sure talking about some of these plans. Can you ex- explain some of these plans? Because there's a lot of money floating around, like you said. There's a lot of money to be used, which is a good problem to have. So, can you lay out maybe some of those plans that could be in the near future in the works? Well, they're they're working on you know a park in the south end of the county, which which hasn't had access to a park. The, the county council bought the land, uh, was late last year. Uh, it's been in um, actually the, the architectural and engineering firm that's working on the design. Uh, it's C- C- CEC, uh, they've, they've now produced some renderings and some options for it. Uh, there's, there's changes going on at the, the park in Spring Mills. They're expanding that. So, there's lots of initiatives that are happening uh, in the, the quality of life, be it out exterior. That there's changes at um, Poorhouse. You know, mm-hmm. the, the property has been expanded there. There's they're working on trust. So it's never ending, Jordan. Um, right. But but it's it's exciting. Well, absolutely. And I know that uh, Marsha and I are certainly, we, every time we seem to get on the internet or look at a new report or something like that, there's always a new project being named or there's a new project getting finished here in Berkeley County for those quality of life things. And as a, uh, well, I've been here for a little over two years now, but as a 
newer-ish resident to the Panhandle. I mean, you have all these outdoor options and all these different, like you said, quality of life measures, which certainly makes it enticing for maybe those D.C. folks, those city folks, or anybody from around the area to come on into Berkeley County, uh, maybe start their family or start a business and things. And uh, the administration and the uh, council, I would imagine, are very open and welcoming to those new opportunities. They very much are. I mean, as, as things grow and change, I mean, just look at the 4th of July event that the airport did with its partners last year. Uh, I, I heard Nick Deal present to the county council yesterday that they, they expected last year about 3,000 people and ended up with 7,000 people. And with the initiative of the quality of life money and sponsorship from some of the organizations and businesses around to include, you know, the, the newer commercial metals that's coming. I mean, they're, they're doing the same thing tomorrow mm-hmm. uh, and they they're expecting to see over 10,000 people at that event. So it's there's they're really, really working hard to to give back, to share and to help. And speaking with Gary Wine, the Berkeley County Administrator. Well, as of uh, midnight, you'll be the Berkeley County Administrator. So, right. do you get uh, do you get the fourth off? Do you get the third off? What's your weekend look like? Yeah, we, you got to love the governor. He <laughs> declared Monday as a holiday. So, uh, I, my wife and I are going to New York City. Believe it or not. Oh, nice. And so, we, we'll celebrate at the airport tomorrow. Jump on the train Sunday morning and uh, go share some of the. The, uh, the smoke and stuff that's in New York right. and Canada and enjoy ourselves. Right. So uh, I'll ask one more question here. What's the fifth look like for you? What's that first official day on the job look like for you? Well, that, that I guess uh, moving content from my office to that office and trying to leave this old technical hat, stay downstairs. I don't know, man. I'm, a, I'm an old guy that loves technology, so to, to separate myself from it, but that'll be step number one. So we'll, I'm excited for the first true Thursday, which is next Thursday, that I that I get to help lead and uh, work with the county council, who who are a great group of folks, and uh, it's going to be a good time. It's, it really is. Oh, and I understand what you're saying too about trying to leave that uh, IT hat behind. I know plenty of old school IT guys out there that still you know have that bug and still dip their uh, toe into the water every <laughs> once in a while. So I would be surprised to hear from you again if uh, you are still doing maybe a little bit here and there. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, Gary, thank you for joining me here on Panhandle Live this morning. You bet. Have a great day, Jordan. Thank you. Yeah, Gary Wine, uh, the new Berkeley County Administrator, joining me here on Panhandle Live. A lot of interesting things. And like uh, he was saying, I mean, Berkeley County is growing like crazy out here, which has, you know, it's plethora of benefits but it also like he says is a double-edged sword where you got to deal with traffic and things are going to get you know housing might get a little bit more expensive and you know things as such like that and you might have to wait a little bit for you know maybe new roads or new parks and things but uh it sounds like gary wine and the berkeley county council are certainly ready for this influx and ready to keep growing uh berkeley county in the eastern panhandle as uh, it has been here goodness in the last Call it decade, maybe a little bit more. But if you missed that conversation uh, with Berkeley County Administrator, as of midnight, he'll be Berkeley County Administrator Gary Wine. You can listen back to that a little bit later on on the Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. But you can always get in touch with me. You can text me, 304-263-4321. You can send me a message on the Panhandle Live Facebook page or the WPMWCST Panhandle News Network Facebook page. But i got to hit this first break. We'll be back after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Live, the voice of the Panhandle. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nice Warner and Marcia Kabalik. Hey! Uh-huh. Hey! Uh-huh. 
Welcome back to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchival Building. Jordan Ice Warner marches out for the holiday weekend. If you uh, missed the beginning of the show, we had new Berkeley County Administrator Gary Wine on to talk about well, his taking over of the role of Berkeley County Administrator and what some of his plans are. And of course, being the administrator, you are pretty much working all the time in conjunction with the Berkeley County Council. So it's just a partnership that he's ready to continue to grow. And it seems like they have some pretty good plans in place for the uh, for the county, he was talking about some new parks, of course, Poorhouse Farm, uh, their expansion. There's all kinds of money uh, ready to be allocated to different things around the county as well. That'll help quality of life and just um, keep things moving forward and in the direction they have been or moving up in the direction they have been. And as I was telling him, I mean, as still a relatively new bee to the eastern panhandle, I mean, the growth that I've been that I've witnessed and seen in the last two years is incredible. So if they can keep on that same track. I think uh, sky's the limit for Berkeley County, and it seems like they are, or we are here in Berkeley County, really the uh, forefront of you know things happening in the state of West Virginia. And speaking of which, uh, a lot of representatives from the state of West Virginia made their way over to the West Coast to Washington State to the Amazon headquarters in Seattle. And you know we were talking about the 1.2 billion dollars in federal uh, funds that were you know allocated to the state of West Virginia for broadband which, you know, is pretty perfect uh, timing for this trip to go over to Amazon. And House Speaker Roger Hanshaw, if you go over to WVMetroNews.com, there's a great article, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about it from Jeff Jenkins about this trip, the Choose West Virginia tour, uh, which made its last most recent pit stop in uh, Seattle, Washington. Uh, he said it's perfect timing as they met with uh, the Amazon group, and they can say, you know, with this access to broadband now across the state, well, when it will be start coming available across the state, then that opens up everything to the state of West Virginia because, I mean, as you know, you're ordering everything, especially if it's from Amazon, online, right? And if they need to be able to take everything online, so if they can't use the Internet to its best capacity or capabilities – then what's the point of you know moving to a different area or opening up a new space to do so? And now with all of this money uh, coming into the state for that, I mean, it's, like they say in the article, perfect timing. And they also went on to say that they were met by a round of applause uh, when they walked into the headquarters there at Amazon. And that would be huge. And, and I think it's huge for us here in the Panhandle, too, because if you think about it, if they are going to put an Amazon plan in, now, yes, there are... One's in, you know, Hagerstown. They got them in Baltimore for a big regional one as well. But if they are going to move an Amazon, in my opinion, uh, headquarters or, well, uh, warehouse or something of the like, to the state of West Virginia, it's either going to be what? Charleston, Morgantown, maybe Wheeling, or here, right in uh, the eastern panhandle, which would be huge for jobs. It'd be huge for the consumer because then you could start getting your Amazon packages, you know, within the hour almost at that point, especially if they decide to start doing the uh, – the drone delivery that I know they talked about doing a handful of years ago. And I think they did that down in Baltimore, D.C. for a bit. But could you imagine sitting here at your house and you put an Amazon order in and then all of a sudden you hear a uh, drone land on your front porch and there you go. You get your package uh, as soon as possible. But uh, they, as was saying, Henshaw went on to say, quote, we literally had a round of applause in the conference room at Amazon headquarters in Seattle because it just become became, becomes easier to have the conversation how we would incentivize small businesses, small manufacturing firms in West Virginia to talk about accessing consumers outside of our borders if we have connections at better speed and better connectivity. So not only does it help the consumer, it helps the producer as well that is putting their stuff into Amazon 
for it to be the marketplace for them because then they have easier access to get into that and they can work with the Amazon company back and forth uh, and different things. But it also seemed like that the West Virginia representatives representatives that are on this uh, Choose West Virginia tour are still kind of dealing with the unfortunate stereotypes that uh, West Virginia that comes, you know, with the baggage of West Virginia. He say, goes on to say in the Metro News WVMetroNews.com article, quote, in reality, what we find is that those stereotypes, you know, they're not real. Uh, and he went on to say most of the business community outside of the borders of West Virginia, they don't have a negative image of West Virginia. They just don't have an image at all. They just don't think about us, which, you know, has been the case for West Virginia for years and years now. Once, you know, coal started leaving and the different uh, – the different uh, fuel sources and things like that started to leave the area. Then people just kind of forgot about West Virginia. So now that uh, we're getting back in the news and this money, this $1.2 billion for the broadband is going to be massive, not just for us here in the Panhandle, but for the entire state of West Virginia, which, look, we're all in this together, right? We're proud to live here, too, like you hear in our uh, – uh, imaging throughout the company. But a very cool uh, trip out there, and they've been making the rounds. I mean, what? Was it Taiwan, now Seattle? Who knows where they're going to end up next trying to uh, show how great of an opportunity West Virginia is and hopefully also showing how great of an opportunity the Eastern Panhandle is. But got to get to this bottom of the hour break. Coming up after a bit, we'll, we'll be back on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto in Martinsburg and Hedgesville. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nice Warner and Marsha Kabalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Marsh is out for the holiday weekend, but joining me in, well, joining me on the phone to talk about the Contemporary American Theater Festival and what sounds to be a uh, pretty interesting uh, uh, production to watch here is Lynn Rosen uh, with the Overview Effect. So, Lynn, thank you for joining me this morning. How you doing? Oh, my pleasure. I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be on with you. Well, I'm glad that you're uh, joining because this uh, Contemporary American Theater Festival is one of our favorite events that comes through every year here. And uh, from talking to you a little bit during the break and then reading the overview on the overview effect, uh, my goodness, this yeah. I mean, checks all the boxes for me. You got space, you got disaster, you got drama. So talk to us about the overview effect. Yeah, I mean, it has all those things, plus it's really funny. Um, uh, So I'll give you a little overview, as you you already used that joke, so I'm going to repeat it. Um, (laughs) It's it's sort of headline-rich, so it's very current, but it also transcends the headlines. Um, This is the show that it starts at the apex of a showdown between two competing space companies, um, and each is on a quest for Mars when one of their rockets explodes on launch. Um, That's the beginning of the play. So air disaster expert Dylan Marks, my heroine, is brought in to search for signs of sabotage. But soon that investigation, which seems like a detective story, which it is, it goes from her interrogating those suspects to listening to them and connecting with them. And with that, her investigation begins to spin and twist and torque and turn inside out so that her search becomes deeply personal and even life-changing. Wow. So I've been uh, looking through your bio a bit. Of course, you won the 2022, or you were named 2022 Visionary Playwright. So, uh, and you've done yeah, all kinds. Best title of, ever. Yeah. Well, congratulations <laughs> also. Uh, but you. I mean, you're prolific with all kinds of different topics and subjects. So how'd you end up in a space race type of uh, storyline? Yeah. I mean, well, 
first of all, it's kind of hard to avoid space race stories these right. days. I mean, even since I came to rehearsal, went back to New York and came back, there have been stories about Mars, finding the ingredients for, for life on Saturn's moon, um, you know, Elon Musk. Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos. I mean, there's stories all the time. But I, you know, I was really interested in 2017. There was a space vehicle called Cassini that was in space for 20 years. It was investigating Saturn. And when I tuned in, I, I know nothing about space, and I want to make clear that nobody needs to be a scientist mm-hmm. to play. Right. You don't need. I never took a physics class. <laughs> I'm, I, I did a lot of research for this play, but you don't need to know. You just need to bring your heart and your soul. Um, but I was really interested in Cassini when it, cra- it crashed into Saturn and basically died. It was programmed after years of helping us to basically self-destruct. And it was sad, too, that when it, it, it was sent sad. that last signal, That's it was so whole- sad. That's the whole thing. I wept. People were weeping, and I never even knew about it until that moment. And so I was really struck by how I was weeping for a machine mm-hmm. um, when sometimes we're surrounded by terribly sad stories, say, the Ukraine. Of course it's terribly sad, but it's hard to cry for something that big, that, that far away and that colossal. And I was interested by that. Like, why am I more easily able to cry for this machine, which maybe stands in for a human? as opposed to all these poor people suffering over there. Um, though I do feel for them, it's just not, I didn't have the same immediate emotion. Mm-hmm. So I was curious about that and I started investigating. And then I happened to be commissioned by someone who wanted a play that um, had to do with the race to space at the same time. So that was kismity. And um, so I was then, when you're commissioned by someone, they basically give you a little money to mm-hmm. do the work I was going to do anyway. So I was like, yes. Um, and then I, I started researching, and I just got more and more into the story um, and all the different aspects of it. I mean, it has to do with, you know, like a very SpaceX-like company, right. two of them. And uh, it's all very fascinating, but really it's about human beings, and I'm always interested in investigating human behavior. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, like I said, I was mentioning you were 2020 visionary playwright, uh, named 2020 visionary playwright. You have plenty of plays that you've uh, either you know brought up or you've been a part of. So how'd you get into this wild world of uh, theater and performing and things of the like? Yeah, I mean, I was always, I think all kids tell stories and are very creative and I was not any different, but I was lucky to have parents who encouraged that. Um, and I love to write stories and I, um, I remember my mom, I'm from Gary, Indiana. Mm-hmm. So I'm from the Midwest, right by Chicago. And occasionally my mom would take me to a theater in Chicago. That's very famous. The Goodman theater. In mm-hmm. fact, one of the directors this summer at CATF is the artistic director of the Goodman. Um, and I, the play, first play I remember seeing is Dracula. And I just remember meeting Dracula afterwards and I was so afraid, but also like <laughs> thrilled, <laughs> scared and amazed at the same time and that's the feeling we don't often get and i love that feeling and i think i was kind of smitten right then and there right um, and decided i wanted so i did act for a while like when you're a kid you mainly just know about acting mm-hmm. so i went to like theater camp and uh did musicals and um then realized after college that i was more just really wanted to concentrate on my writing but it's just a great way to express myself yeah. but also investigate things like in uh, the overview effect that i don't I don't understand. It's a way to get answers. Well, I'll ask you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, (laughs) I'll ask you this, too, because it seems like, at least in my opinion, I didn't grow up in the theater. I mean, I've always been aware of it and have gone to shows in my past, and especially more recently. But it seems like the um, interest in theater has definitely started to peak in these last couple of years. Have you noticed that as well? Um, I hope that's true. I mean, I think... (laughs) 
I mean, I live in New York City, so there's always a little bit of, of you know, there's always interest in theater. Um, I feel like TV has gotten, you know, a lot of theater writers have gone to TV. Mm-hmm. Now there is a strike, um, a, a worthy and righteous strike of the writers. Uh, so a lot of playwrights are like, oh, right, theater. Um, but um, it's, so I actually feel like a, there's been sort of a, a drain of some writers okay. to TV. And TV is amazing. I love TV. I, I, I write some TV, too. Um, but I hope that's true regionally. I hope there's more interest because there's nothing more exciting than sitting in a theater with a group of people and watching something that will never be repeated. I mean, it's repeated, but never the same way you've seen it that night. And they say that even scientifically, when you're sitting in an audience, everyone's heart rates start to match up. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's a truly fascinating communal one of a kind experience. So I hope that more people will be going to the theater. And, um, I love that CATF makes it so accessible. Right. To people, um, that's really important. Yeah, I think it's great too the way that CTA or CATF really brings all of these different perspectives and different plays and different you know uh, productions into one area in Shepherdstown. Which uh, have you been able to make it down to Shepherdstown recently? Have you been down here uh, oh, checking I'm the here place right out? Now. Oh well, perfect. <laughs> well, my goodness, we should have had you in studio. That'd have been great. But what do you think well, of uh, little old Shepherdstown, West oh Virginia? Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, I was here about ten days ago for the first part. So I was here for the beginning, like sort of the beginning of rehearsals. I came after the first week of rehearsal so when the actors are just learning their lines and mm. figuring out that director's telling them my amazing director Courtney Sale is telling our incredible I mean like if you see this show you're going to be knocked out knocked out knocked out yeah knocked out <laughs> by the actors they are I was, about, I was about to say knocked off your feet but either right. would work our actors are incredible um and so I came when they were learning lines learning where to go understanding the characters then I left and I just came back last night and I stepped into the room and watched them do a run of the whole thing with all the designers there mm-hmm. for the first time. And, um, oh, my God, they are just they have done such amazing work. Um, so I've been here twice and Shepherdstown is beautiful. Yes. Um, the first time I just got to explore German Street. Right. Um, and spend some money, which I I, I loved everything. I spent easy money to on. do there. Yeah. Easy to do oh, on German Street. Great food. Um, and now I'm I'm going to hopefully explore some more. My family's coming and I can't wait for them to see it. It's just beautiful. So what does your role look like when you're you know here like last night? Is it more uh-huh. of just a uh, you're just fielding questions if anybody has it, maybe a, an artistic direction question type of thing? Or are you just there making sure everything's good to go? Um, that's a great question. I, well, um, when I was here the first time, it was really, I mean, it's always pretty much the same. It's me trying to make sure the scenes make sense, talking with the director, just making sure the scenes make sense in, ter- in terms of the words that they're saying. Mm-hmm. And have I, is there something I need to add to make something, give something more clarity? Is there something I need to cut away? I did a lot of cutting, so I cut out a lot of lines. Yeah that I thought were not necessary or confusing. And I work with the director very closely to make sure we're on the same page about the tone of a scene. Should this mm. be, is this like, how funny should it be? Should it be more sad? Should, you know, figuring out the tone. Yeah. Now, at this point, um, I'm still there for any questions. I'm actually adding a couple little words here and there today. I'm going to cut a few things today, but hopefully most of my work is done in that realm. But you never know. When we're going to be moving to the theater tomorrow, which is super exciting. We've been in a rehearsal space, mm-hmm. and once you see it on the big stage and you start adding lights and sound, which is going to be so, so great in this show, so powerful, you just never know. So who knows? I might have to do more work, or I might just sit there and write letters. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a hand in any of the casting? Yes. I, we, we, uh, yes. Um, playwrights generally have final approval. Okay. 
overcasting, but it is a totally collaborative effort. So between the casting director, uh, who's someone that helps us find people and bring actors in, and the director, Courtney, and me and Peggy McCowan, we and, and Teresa, um, we saw lots of actors in, in person and a lot on tape, which is a new thing since COVID. Um, and that's, you know, has its challenges. But, um, yeah, we saw a lot of wonderful people and ended up with a terrific cast. But it's a lot of, you know, you have to, it's a, it, you have to figure, you have to find lots of ingredients right. in every single person that fit the part. Now, yesterday we were speaking with Jeffrey Lieber, who's also one of the uh, playwrights mm-hmm. that's down there. Uh, do you guys kind of get together? Do the playwrights hang out with one another and, you know, maybe share <laughs> different things? Or is it just kind of, you know, hanging out and just experiencing the whole situation? both i mean i think we all try like last time i was here it's like let's have a playwright's dinner which did not happen <laughs> and that's kind of typical not because we don't want to just because our schedules are all mm-hmm. really different like uh dale orlander smith's show which is going to be incredible i can't wait to see it starts way earlier than my show mm-hmm. so so they tech their show i think they already tech their shows meaning they put in the technical stuff the lights the sound right Etc. We are doing that tomorrow. So you see, we're on different schedules. So mm-hmm. I hope so. I've met Jeffrey over Twitter. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's how I meet a lot of people nowadays, too. Yes, yes. Although might be leaving Twitter. We'll see. But, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Understood. Um, but yes. But, uh, but uh, we have a plan tentatively to meet on Monday. Who knows? Nice. Who knows? Well, yeah, get- but... That's the goal. I mean, the community, the communal feel of it is the, really one of the best parts about these. And that's what's so great about a festival. Um, I can't wait to see their shows. They're, I mean, I know some of these writers, some are new to me, but they're all, I mean, these plays sound fabulous. Again, speaking with playwright Lynn Rosen, talking about uh, her production of The Overview Effect, which you can watch down at the Contemporary American Theater Festival. And you answered the next question I had a couple times there, but are you going to have time to go watch a couple of these other plays, a couple of these other shows? I'm going to make time. I'm already trying to figure it out. Um, I think because, like I said, in our tech where I'm like the playwright is not really as necessary Mm -hmm. because it's all about putting in the the costumes and the lighting and uh, the set and everything is going to be pretty fabulous in this. Um, I might flip out and go see Dale's show. And then, yeah, the goal is to see them all. I can't imagine not seeing them because these are exciting writers. So uh, I know, but it's tricky. It's tricky, but it won't be tricky. I don't think audiences will have a problem. It's just my schedule. Well, we get a lot of questions, too, from folks that go out to uh, enjoy the Contemporary American Theater Festival. And a lot of the questions we get is, uh, will the playwrights, will the directors, or maybe even the actors be available for, you know, conversation questions after the fact? And is that uh, maybe the case with you? I'm always happy to have a conversation. I, you know, generally the playwright and director don't stay past opening mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. once you open, it's not really your show anymore. It's it's their show. It's a cast show. It's the audience's show. And um, I, I officially cannot make any more changes. Um, so I leave. But I, if anyone wants to ask me something, they see me at the Frank Theater starting the seventh yep eighth or ninth i will be there i'm happy to answer questions um and our actors are a terrific bunch of people so i'm sure if they spot them they'd be happy to talk about it well, we love it, talking about ourselves of course of <laughs> course that's the whole point isn't it it's the whole point yeah well no i actually get embarrassed <laughs> a little embarrassed talking about myself but i'm happy to talk about the play well, the overview effect sounds like it's going to be quite the intriguing and interesting play. And on, like you said, on uh, Friday the 7th, it premieres the world premiere at 7 p.m. And then wow. you can watch it on Saturday and Sunday. So that's got to get you a little excited, too. And the 30th. Too. Yes, all the way through. I mean, my goodness, you can find the whole schedule at this uh, Contemporary American Theater Festival, uh, their website. But the world premiere, that adds a little bit of extra yes. sizzle to it, doesn't it? 
Oh, yeah, I'm so excited, and I'm very excited to be doing it with a Contemporary American Theater Festival and with these other incredible playwrights. It's really an honor, and uh, I mean, they, their ambition and the scope of this festival is really unparalleled. I think it's 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 uh, to be applauded, and it's really exciting. Yeah, right. Well, Lynn Rosen, uh, playwright Lynn Rosen, thank you for joining me this morning on Panhandle Live, and I look forward to getting out there and uh, catching a couple of these plays, and especially the overview effect, which you can see over at the Contemporary American Theater Festival in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Lynn, thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you so much. Absolutely. See you soon, I hope. Yes, good luck also. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Again, that's Lynn Rosen, uh, playwright with the Contemporary American Theater Festival talking about the overview effect, which sounds like uh, if you're into space, if you're into all this craziness that's been happening with Tesla and Elon and, you know, the new space race, well, this is going to be right up your alley. And you can catch the world premiere on Friday the 7th at 7 p.m. and then Saturday at 7 p.m. and Sunday uh, at 12 noon. But as Lynn was saying, it goes all the way through the 30th and the final day of, excuse me, final day of viewing will be on Sunday at 12 p.m., 30th, the 30th, Sunday at 12 p.m. But there are so many interesting plays that are uh, taking part in CATF this year. I mean, like we were saying, like we were talking about, we were speaking uh, with Josh Lieber yesterday about uh, Fever Dream, his uh, play that sounds like that is going to be like a fever dream, for lack of a better word. And, of course, the overview effect, and there's all kinds of different um, topics and, you know, situations that really could pique everyone and anyone's uh, interest. And if you like going and watching plays, I mean, this is the time to do it. Cause you're dealing with top, 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 top level playwrights, product or directors. Uh, the production's always great over there at the uh, CATF. And then of course uh, the folks that are going to be putting on the play are always top notch as well. So thank you to Lynn for joining me. And if you missed any of our conversation with Lynn, you can listen back to that here in just a little while on the Panhandle News Network, Facebook and Spotify page. But I got to get to my final break and we'll be back to wrap things up after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Live. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kabalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchival building and driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto. Jordan Nicewarner marches out for the holiday weekend. If you missed the conversation with Lynn Rosen from the CATF playwright talking about the overview effect, rockets, disaster, space race. My goodness, that uh, checks all the boxes for me, that's for sure. But if you missed that conversation about her play, uh, the overview effect that's going to be down at CATF. You can listen back to that a little bit later on. And last night on WPM and WCST, we had a very important panel discussion uh, hosted by the Stubblefield Institute about post-pandemic health care. And there were, of course, I mean, I don't got to talk too much about uh, all the things that happened pre, during, and post the pandemic, but the the landscape in the health world has definitely changed Tremendously in the last couple of years, and I thought it was a very important and poignant conversation uh, that was had thanks to the Stubblefield Institute, which, of course, you could hear right here on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Now, next week, we'll get into a little bit more in depth about the conversation, but I wanted to give you a little bit of a taste uh, in case you missed it um, about kind of what we're talking about or what was being talked about and uh, of course local voice or regular voice Hans Vogel was the uh, moderator for last night so that's who you're here here to start things off but uh, this was a little bit from the Stubblefield Institute's post-pandemic healthcare discussion which you could have heard right here on WPM and WCST. Discuss practicing medicine during a global pandemic and how healthcare changed as a result. 
In two minutes. Yeah, and <laughs> ish. Maybe just like the biggest changes. We'll, we'll, we'll start there. Big picture type stuff. And, and we'll start, uh, since Dr. Laudner ended last time, we'll start with him of course first this time. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, I guess if you could compare night and day. You probably could get the pre and post pandemic uh, feel of practicing medicine. I'll speak sort of initially from the emergency perspective. Uh, we went from, I think, the busiest emergency department in the state um, with about 170 people a day to about 250 people a day overnight, uh, most of which were, uh, some of which were worried well and many of which were um, looking for information, testing, et cetera, um, with a staff that didn't change or decreased by 20 to 30 percent in the first few months of the pandemic. And so um, we had to make lots of changes. Uh, we went from treating 85 to 90 percent of our folks in beds in, in the emergency department to treating about 85 percent either in the waiting room or in the parking lot. Um, and that was a big change in the culture, not only for our providers, but for our patients. Um, but over time, a number of things came out that made it clear that we probably weren't necessarily doing things as well as we could have been in the, in the pre-pandemic period. And so a number of those things that we changed um, are things we still do today. So there was also good, I would say, innovation during that time. Um, but the um, kind of access to health care became a very big issue. The resources in the hospital, as I think Dr. Moss will get to, became very challenging. Um, our ICU became a 100% vented unit, which... You know, we had a 40% uh, vacancy rate prior to that. And so things changed very dramatically overnight. The roles people played changed dramatically overnight, the responsibilities that they took. Um, and quite frankly, the, uh, the support we got from the community was amazing. We had more uh, folks volunteering and helping us in uh, delivering resources than we ever did prior to, prior to the pandemic. So I'll just stop there for now. Thank you very much. Mr. Meza. We're going to go round table on these? Yeah, we're just going to, for these first few, we're just going to. All right, sounds good. Well, I can't give the practicing medicine response the same as the good doctors here, but um, I, I did have the opportunity to work with many of the clinicians. And I'd say, you know, overnight, um, it, it was a transition from an everyday focus on the patient to everyday focus on the patients, the many patients, but then the practitioners and the caregivers. Um, you know, they always, they always take a little bit of a risk as you're taking care of patients. You never know. Somebody has a contagious disease. Um, but, but this time around, we knew it, and we knew that there was a good chance that many of the patients that they were serving did have contagious disease. And instantly, we had to go from, you know, taking care of our patients to take care of our practitioners so they can take care of our patients. And innovation uh, that was mentioned earlier, thinking outside the box, uh, all the rules that applied before didn't apply moving forward. And how can we take care of more patients with less capacity because of the isolation around it? You know, can we walk outside and, and take care of a patient curbside in their car? I mean, we've never done that before. Um, so the innovation and the teamwork that had to take place in order to continue to serve um, the ever-growing need of patients, um, I think, was one of the biggest changes. But I also want to mention, you know, in that overnight switch, I don't know if the ER felt this or not, but, you know, in the ambulatory world, you went from, you know, your consistent stream of patients to about a week or two of, like, no patients because everybody's scared, everybody's staying home. And then it was like the floodgates opened up and everybody comes flooding back in um, and you had that little tsunami effect um, and having to deal with what that did to our clinical teams, um, you know, kind of the mind game that that was, and then learning the new normal and moving forward from there. I think those were some of the, some of the biggest transitions that, that healthcare made, at least in the mm -hmm. ambulatory front.
So uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth next week, and we'll go into a little bit more of the questions, especially get into some of the uh, public questions that were presented uh, during this panel discussion. But my takeaway from it, because there was a lot of information that was given, a lot of great discussion, I thought, about the post-pandemic healthcare world and just the pandemic itself, was that, look, people were doing the best with what they had with the information they had at the moment to try and make the right decisions to keep everybody safe. Right now, was the, were those the right decisions at the moment? And they go on to talk about that during the panel discussion that, you know, hindsight, maybe they weren't or maybe they were. Or maybe they could have done something different, but they were doing with doing the best they could with the information they had at the moment with a situation that nobody in, you know, really in living at the moment, really, I mean, plus or minus some people, I'm sure, had dealt with before. So, you know, there was a lot of very interesting questions proposed by a few of the different uh, people that were in attendance, the public in attendance, and I thought it was a great, well-rounded discussion from a lot of the uh, big-time players that were involved across the state of West Virginia uh, during the pandemic. So, again, thank you to the Stubblefield Institute uh, and WVU Medicine, Berkeley Medical Center for letting us be a part of that and broadcasting that right here on the Panhandle News Network. Uh, and it was certainly an interesting discussion, to say the least. But that does it for me today on Panhandle Live. If you missed the show, you can listen back to it a little bit later on today. Uh, but, yeah, have a great Fourth of July weekend. Maybe go out, do a little grilling, and uh, be a little careful with this smoke and haze that's still around the area. Uh, but Hoppy's next. Talk to you next week. Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.